0: This week's Come, Follow Me reading block is Mormon chapters 7, 8, and 9. As we begin with chapter 7, Mormon now is about 74 years old. You can calculate that using the chronological uh, data in the Book of Mormon itself at the beginning of each chapter he's spent pretty much all his life uh, in Wars one thing I love about chapter 7 is that Mormon himself loves his enemies he the Lamanites have just basically wiped out all of his people and this chapter 7 is a a chapter telling them basically that he loves them and inviting them to come unto Christ and have true happiness. Uh, This is his last chapter to us. He will be killed, and Moroni will finish the last two chapters, will write the last two chapters in Mormon, chapters 8 and 9. So let's pay attention to what Mormon tells his enemies, and also what topics he deals with on his very last uh, letter or chapters to us. Uh, we're going to point out a lot of doctrines. Now, I suppose you all of you know what doctrines are. Doctrines are facts. Uh, doctrines are details of the plan of salvation. Doctrines uh, are what we use to make sure we're following and understanding God's plan of happiness for us. For instance, baptism is required for entrance into the celestial kingdom. That is a doctrine. Another doctrine is that children who die before the years of accountability are saved in the celestial kingdom of God. Another doctrine is... That in the celestial kingdom there are three degrees or heavens Another doctrine is that if you want to be a family forever, you will need to qualify for exaltation Another doctrine is that Exaltation is the highest degree of glory in the celestial kingdom It is the same lifestyle as our heavenly parents have another doctrine is that God exists. Another doctrine is that Jesus Christ is his only begotten Son. Another doctrine, and we can go on and on and on, Uh, doctrines are details of the plan of salvation, facts that we can uh, need to understand, in fact, and that we can absolutely trust. Another quick doctrine, Baptism, in order to be effective, has to be done by proper priesthood authority. And another doctrine is that baptism must be done by immersion. So let's look at some doctrines in chapter 7 of Mormon that he has chosen to include in his very last few words to all of us and especially specifically to the Lamanites who are his bitter enemies. Um, One of the doctrines is at the end of verse 1, ye are a remnant of the house of Israel. Now the house of Israel was a specific group in the pre-mortal life and Abraham was told that his descendants would be the people through whom God takes his gospel and plan of salvation to all the world. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, was named Israel, meaning God with us. Abraham's grandson, Isaac, was the one who had the twelve sons of Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and so his descendants are called the children of Israel. And Israel is the group whose descendants are taking the gospel to all the world. And so when, at the end of verse 1, Mormon reminds the Lamanites, his bitter enemies, that ye... Uh, I speak unto you, ye remnant of the house of Israel. And in verse 2, I know that ye are the house of Israel. Any of the people to whom Mormon is talking who begin to understand what it means to be of the house of Israel know that they have a special responsibility to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world. Being of the house of Israel in a way, a very significant way, means that we are entitled to all of the blessings through our faithfulness and constant use of the atonement. We are entitled to all of the blessings promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the blessings of exaltation. Another doctrine is, verse 3, Know ye that ye must come unto repentance, or ye cannot be saved. So everybody has to repent. That's another thing that Mormon is telling these people and all of us. And then another doctrine is, in verse 4, you cannot delight in the shedding of blood. That's a big one, and many people in the world right now would do very well to pay close attention to them. One caveat at the end of verse four, it says, save it be that God shall command you. In other words, there is a law called the law of self-defense. And it's in section 98 of the Doctrine and Covenants, among other places, also found many places in the Book of Mormon. So you can defend your Self and your family. You can go into the military service and take up weapons to defend your country. Another doctrine is in verse 5 at the end, or middle there, repent of all your sins and iniquities. All of us know this but these Lamanites to whom Mormon is addressing his last words do not understand that. You must believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God. That's such a wonderful doctrine. And that by the power of the Father, he hath risen again. In other words, Jesus Christ truly did raise up from the dead. He was raised by the power of the Father unto resurrection and eternal life. And he has truly gained the victory over the grave. That's very comforting when we lose a loved one, that we know that all of us, any, everyone, will indeed be resurrected. So the sting of death is swallowed up. I love Mormon's words there at the end of verse 5. He also reminds these Lamanites in verse 6 at the end, that uh, we will all be resurrected and will stand before the judgment seat of God. That means everyone ultimately has accountability, provided that they are capable of being accountable. accountable. Small children, of course, are not, and some who are mentally unable or do not have the capacity to be uh, accountable, that does not apply to them. Um, Verse 7, he says basically that uh, if we live the gospel, we can be found guiltless before him at the judgment day and we will be allowed to dwell in the presence of God forever and sing ceaseless praises with the choirs above. There's probably some people that would say, I don't want that. A lot of others would, of course, want it. What that means is we can have eternal happiness and joy and enjoy living with God with all the other people that are there. He also, another doctrine, he says at the end of verse 7, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are one God. Now we have some friends in other religious persuasions that would be really happy to see us finally admit that the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are one. Well, that's not what it means the way they mean. It means that they are united completely in purpose And they work in complete harmony one with another. Now, verse 8, another doctrine, another repetition. Repent and be baptized and lay hold on the gospel. And then he gives another doctrine that this record talks about the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also... There will be a record that comes from the Gentiles. That means everybody that's not a Jew in this context. And it means there will be another record, that's the Bible, which will come unto the Gentiles from the Jews. The Jews brought us the Bible, and Jesus served his mortal mission among the Jews. So lots and lots and lots of doctrines here. Mormon has packed this very tight with what he, under inspiration, assembled together as very key doctrines for his enemies and also for all of us. Verse 10, once again, he emphasizes how important it is to be of the seed of Jacob or the House of Israel, by the way, anyone anywhere in the world, whether they are literally genealogically of the tribe tribes of Israel, uh, if they join the church and make the covenants that we make at baptism, they become the house of Israel they become the seed of Jacob so everyone the seed of Jacob is another way of saying those who belong to and live worthy of the being the house of Israel one more in verse 10 here If it so be that you believe in Christ and are baptized, first with water, then with fire and the Holy Ghost, in other words, another doctrine, if you are baptized, having truly repented, you are baptized by proper authority, by immersion, you will be filled with fire and the Holy Ghost. The imagery of fire in conjunction with the Holy Ghost Um, reflects back on what is referred to in the scriptures often as the refiner's fire, the burning within us and burning out the imperfections in us. The Holy Ghost keeps showing us what we need to be doing. He keeps explaining the gospel to us. He keeps bearing witness uh, that God the Father is our Father and he exists. He keeps bearing witness of the Savior and all of the doctrines of the gospel so that we can live the gospel and have great joy and have our imperfections gradually over time burned out of us, so to speak, purged like when they're refining gold in the refiner's fire. And then very final words of Mormon here in chapter 7. Uh, he says at the end of verse 10, It shall be well with you in the day of judgment. In other words, we can have a very happy Pleasant judgment day and uh, let's do a little cross-reference to that at the end of verse 10 if you're making notes in your scriptures you could put a little cross reference to second Nephi chapter 9 verse 14 and I'm going to turn to it in mine 2 Nephi 9 and 14, and the point here that Mormon is making is if you follow what he's been telling us and live the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can have a very pleasant judgment day. So here we are in 2 Nephi chapter 9. Um, we'll read the whole verse. The first is not what we want to pay attention to, because it means if we haven't repented, we will have a perfect knowledge of all our guilt and our uncleanness and our nakedness. In other words, there is no covering up anymore. There is no excuse that will get you off the hook on Judgment Day. But, and here's what we want to pay attention to in Second Nephi 9.14, kind of the last half of the verse. And the righteous shall have a perfect knowledge of their enjoyment and their righteous and their righteousness. in other words, we can have a very happy judgment day. So that's Mormon's final message to us that is absolutely packed. Now, chapter eight is pretty sad as far as I'm concerned, Moroni is now all alone. And in verse 1, he says, Behold, I, Moroni, do finish the record of my father Mormon. So Moroni will write chapter 8 and chapter 9, the last two chapters in his father's book. Behold, I have but few things to write. And I'm doing it because my father asked me to, commanded me to. And there's been a great battle. And verse 3, my father also was killed by them. And I remain alone to write the sad tale of the destruction of my people. Now, he says, verse 4, I will write and hide up the records in the earth And then where I go, doesn't matter. Whither I go, it mattereth not. To me, this is very, very lonely. And uh, verse 5, he will say once again that he is alone. Behold, my father hath made this record, and he hath written the intent thereof. And behold, I would write it also if I had room upon the plates, but I have not. And or I have none... For I am alone. My father hath been slain in battle, and all my kinfolk, and I have not friends nor whither to go. And how long the Lord will suffer that I may live, I know not. To me, that's just almost brings me to tears. Now, I want to bring something else in right at this point. Obviously, the Lamanites were trying to find Moroni and kill him. And uh, during the remaining years of his life, he obviously wandered and traveled and ran away from the Lamanites. And I'm going to read a quote from President Brigham Young here that is taken from Orson F. Whitney's book, The Life of Heber C. Kimball, it'll be actually on page 436. I'll say it once more. The Life of Heber C. Kimball by Orson F. Whitney, page 436. It's talking about when the saints out here in the West were uh, determining the spot where the Manti-Utah Temple should be built. And this is what President Brigham Young said about the spot of ground where the Manti Utah Temple should be built. Quote, Here is the spot where the prophet Moroni stood and dedicated this piece of land for a temple site, and that is the reason why the location is made here, and we can't move it from this spot and then he talks to his the brother who was the member of the leadership of the church who was with him that day. He says to him, and if you and I are the only persons that come here at high noon today, we will dedicate this ground. There had been some... Uh, Discussion and uh, disagreement as to where to actually build the Manti Temple. And, of course, you just heard Brigham Young say, this, where the temple was actually built, is the spot where the prophet Moroni dedicated the ground. So we know that Moroni came all the way out, at least all the way out to Utah. That's a lonely life for him. Now, um, in verse 8 of chapter 8, we see a pattern. The Lord tells us to love one another and to work out our differences and be nice to each other. The devil teaches people to fight against each other and Be mean. That's putting it pretty simply. And so we see a pattern in verse 8 where Moroni tells us, Behold, also the Lamanites are at war one with another. That's Satan's way. Be angry at someone. Blame others. Uh, So uh, the Lamanites, as they killed off the Nephites, that didn't settle their bloodlust. They just turn on each other, and that is Satan's way. Now, a happy note in chapter 8. Verse 10, there are none that that do know the true God. In other words, all of the righteous Nephites have been destroyed. Everyone else is wicked, and they do not want anything to do with the gospel, Lamanites or wicked Nephites who are left And so, uh, there are none, verse 10, that do know the true God, save it be the disciples of Jesus, in other words, the three Nephites, who did tarry in the land until the wickedness of the people was so great that the Lord would not suffer them to remain with the people. And whether they be upon the face of the land no man knoweth. We know that the three Nephites were going to remain on earth clear up until the second coming and help with the work of the Lord here, and uh, and Moroni here doesn't know whether they're on the face of his land there, in other words, the Americas, or somewhere else. But a happy note here, verse 11 But behold, my father and I have seen them, and they have ministered unto us. I love that witness, uh, that the three Nephites do exist, and that Moroni and his father had the chance to be ministered to by them. Now, verse 12, Whoso receiveth this record and shall not condemn it, that's to you and me, as we receive this marvelous Book of Mormon. And do not condemn it because of the imperfections which are in it. Now, some people, as you know, in our day especially, attack the Book of Mormon because there are imperfections in it. There are typos. There are whatever. And Moroni warns us not to condemn it. Whoso receiveth this record and shall not condemn it because of the imperfections which are in it, the same shall know of greater things than these. In other words, as we accept the doctrines and teachings of the Book of Mormon, do our best to live them, we will keep learning more and more and more. Now, there's a prophecy here in Mormon chapter 8 written by Moroni as you know when Joseph Smith took the gold plates home from the hill Cumorah under Moroni's instruction uh, there were many people that tried to get the gold plates in order to convert them to cash and verse 14 says that that will never happen this is a prophecy chapter 8 verse 14 and I Moroni, am the same who hideth up this record unto the Lord. In other words, Moroni is going to bury it until Joseph Smith will come and get them in many hundreds of years. And I am the same who hideth up this record unto the Lord. The plates thereof are of no worth because of the commandment of the Lord, for he truly saith that no one shall have them to get gain, in other words, to profit by them. But the record thereof, the writings on the gold plates, is of great worth, and whoso shall bring it to light, him will the Lord bless. Can you imagine how Joseph Smith felt when he translated that verse? So, no one will be able to take the gold plates and convert them to cash. That's a prophecy, and it was uh, fulfilled in every detail. Now, what about Joseph Smith, verse 16? And blessed be he, that's Joseph Smith, that shall bring this thing to light, for it shall be brought out of darkness under light according to the word of God. Yea, it shall be brought... Out of the earth and it shall shine forth out of darkness and that darkness includes spiritual that it will shine into spiritual darkness and bring wonderful blessings to all who will listen to it now once again Moroni seems to be kind of worried about the what he sees as imperfections and uh, The plates, as he has written them and his father has written them, he worries about people picking them apart, being nitpicky about how they're written and so forth. So verse 17, he says, And if there be faults, they be the faults of a man. But behold, we know no fault. Nevertheless, God knoweth all things. And he that condemneth Let him be aware, lest he shall be in danger of hell fire. And then another prophetic warning. Uh, There were people that uh, tried to force Joseph Smith into getting the plates and showing them to them. In verse 18, he, he that says, show unto me, or ye shall be smitten, let him beware, lest he commandeth that which is forbidden of the Lord. So... Some very strong warnings about what would happen to anyone who tried to make Joseph Smith show them or give them the plates. How are we doing time wise? We're at 29. Okay, so I'll go another 10 minutes or so, you think, or whatever. All right, um, let's look at a few other things in the last parts of the reading block here. Uh, there's a instruction in verse 23 of chapter 8 that you've heard elsewhere in the Book of Mormon. Search the prophecies of Isaiah. That's something that kind of sends shivers up and down some people's spines because they say, Ew. I don't really get anything out of Isaiah. I can't understand it. Well, there are a lot of helps that we have nowadays, and uh, that's just a message we ought not to ignore. Search the prophecies of Isaiah. There are several, quote, it shall come in a day, close quote, statements. Now, at the in the rest of mormon chapter eight it shall come in a day moroni is prophesying uh, saying that uh, in fact let's quickly read from chapter from verse 23 up to one of the first it shall come in a day statements in verse 26 starting quickly with verse 23 Search the prophecies of Isaiah. Behold, I cannot write them. Yea, behold, I say unto you that those saints who have gone before me, who have possessed this land, shall cry. Yea, even from the dust will they cry unto the Lord. And as the Lord liveth, he will remember the covenant which he hath made with them. Verse 24. He knoweth their prayers, that they were in behalf of their brethren. And He knoweth their faith, for in his name could they remove mountains, and in his name could they cause the earth to shake. And by the power of his word did they cause prisons to tumble to the earth. Yea, even the fiery furnace could not harm them, neither wild beasts nor poisonous serpents, because of the power of his word. And behold, their prayers were also in behalf of him that the Lord should suffer to bring these things forth. In other words, they prayed for Joseph Smith. And talking about these prophecies, the next verses are Moroni's witness and testimony that all of the prophecies and prayers of these ancient people and ancient servants of God will come To pass now middle of verse 26 and it shall come in a day in other words the restoration of the gospel will come in a day when it shall be said that miracles are done away in other words we live in a day when many people do not believe in God. They don't even believe in miracles, anything like it. And verse 27 And it shall come in a day when the blood of the saints shall cry unto the Lord because of secret combinations and the works of darkness. That's a description of the day in which we live. Verse 28. These prophecies will come to pass, the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, the rest of the restoration of the gospel will come, verse 28, in a day when the power of God shall be denied and churches become defiled and be lifted up in the pride of their hearts. Yea, even in a day when leaders of churches and teachers shall rise in the pride of their hearts even to the envying of them who belong to their churches. There was people will be lifted up in pride and their worship services and their teachings will bring them to a state of pride. Verse twenty nine it shall come in a day, another it shall come in a day statement when there shall be heard of fires and tempests and vapours of smoke in foreign lands, and certainly in our own land. That prophecy is being fulfilled, uh, or at least partially, all around us right now. It's in the daily news. And verse 30, There shall also be heard of wars, rumors of wars, and earthquakes in diverse places. That means various places. Another statement. Verse 31, it shall come in a day when there shall be great pollutions upon the face of the earth. Now that can include literal pollutions, but in this verse the context is spiritual pollution. There shall be murders and robbing and lying and deceiving and whoredoms whoredoms means sexual immorality and all manner of abominations when there shall be many who will say do this or do that and it mattereth not for the Lord will uphold such at the last day in other words go ahead and do what you want be wicked don't worry about it it's not that serious and the Lord will uh... Ultimately, will save you. But what does Moroni say? But woe unto such, for they are in the gall of bitterness and in the bonds of iniquity. In other words, they are completely off base. Verse 32. We'll do one more. It shall come in a day, verse here. It shall come in a day when there shall be churches built up that shall say... Come unto me, and for your money you shall be forgiven of your sins. Now, a happy thing uh, near the end of verse of chapter 8 in verse 35. Moroni saw us. He saw us in vision, you and me, and our day. Verse 35, Behold, I speak unto you. As if ye were present, and ye are not, but behold, Jesus Christ hath shown you unto me, and I know your doing, and I know that ye do walk in the pride of your hearts. We're in verse 36 now. And there are none save a few only who do not lift themselves up in the pride of their hearts, under the wearing of very fine apparel, unto envying and strifes, and malice, and persecutions, and all manner of iniquities. And your churches, yea, even every one, have become polluted because of the pride of your hearts. For behold, ye do love money, and your substance, and strifes, and malice, and persecutions, and all manner of iniquities. And your churches, yea, even every one, have become polluted because of the pride of your hearts verse 37 for behold ye do love money and your substance and your fine apparel and the adorning of your churches more than ye love the poor and the needy and the sick and the afflicted well moroni isn't it going to be fun to meet him some day in the next life well Chapter 9 now, Moroni uh, has is going to give us a chapter for doubters and unbelievers. It's really quite amazing. We'll just pick up a few points here. Uh, again, appreciate the greatness of this marvelous prophet, this great man, this great soul, and... Uh, see what we can get from him here as we finish up this reading block. Um, One really important doctrine here is in verse 4 of chapter 9, and he's going to teach us, you know, some people say, you know, why can't God just be nice enough since we're all his kids just to even though we really kind of messed up here on earth, just to let us go ahead and come into the celestial kingdom and live with him forever. That would be so nice if he could just see his way clear to do that. Well, Moroni has an answer for that. Verse 4, chapter 9, Behold, I say unto you that ye would be more miserable to dwell with a holy and just God under a consciousness of your filthiness before him than ye would to dwell with the damned souls in hell. That's a pretty clear answer, isn't it? And then verse 5, For behold, when ye shall be brought to see your nakedness before God, that means you have no more cover-up, no more excuses. You can't try and talk your way out of it. You're just plain guilty. When you, are brought to, when you shall be brought to see your nakedness before God and also the glory of God and the holiness of Jesus Christ, it will kindle a flame of unquenchable, unquenchable fire upon you. So what should we do? Verse 6, if we find ourselves uh, trying to make excuses and now understand that it's not going to work, then what can we do? Verse 6, O then, ye unbelieving, remember this is a chapter to unbelievers, turn ye unto the Lord, cry mightily unto the Father in the name of Jesus, that perhaps ye may be found spotless, pure, fair, and white, having been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb at that great And last day, in other words, judgment day. Now, how could that happen to us? Answer We can repent and take advantage of the atonement of Christ, and he will make us perfectly clean. Now, by the way, there was a word on line four, verse six, it's spotless. That's really important. We will not be perfect. It's going to take us quite a while after we get into the next life, uh, meaning after the resurrection. It's going to take us quite a while to get perfect, but with the help of Christ, we can become spotless, completely clean because Christ will take our sins upon us and we can be in the presence of God completely comfortably, and that's what verse 6 is all about. Now, one last point of doctrine, and then we'll close. In chapter 9, verse 14, Moroni is talking about the Judgment Day, and Christ is the one who will... Be doing the judging according to John chapter 5, verse 22 in the Bible. So Moroni's teaching us about the judgment. Verse 14, And then cometh the judgment of the Holy One upon them, and then cometh the time. Pay close attention to this. He that is filthy shall be filthy still. And he that is righteous shall be righteous still. He that is happy shall be happy still. And he that is unhappy shall be unhappy still. So a great lesson for us is to work on being clean and righteous and happy in our daily walk of life. And this I would leave with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.